Hello, friend. This is just a quick note to let you know that this podcast was recorded back in September of 2021. The conversation you're about to hear is one I had with Assembly of First Nations Regional Chief Paul Prosper just before the first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Now, without further ado, I hope you enjoy. An old way podcast series focusing on current matters in the Mi'kmaq community. Hello and welcome. My name is Sean Doak. I'm a proud member of the Lennox Island First Nation and communications officer with Olnaway. Welcome to Jigue. I'm your host, and today I am fortunate to be joined by Assembly of First Nations Regional Chief, Paul Prosper. We're going to be discussing the first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation, what this means for Indigenous and non-Indigenous people across the country, and some perspectives from elders that he's been speaking with on reconciliation and what that means. Welcome, Regional Chief Prosper. Hi there, uh, Sean. I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much for your time today. I know you're very busy, and I appreciate you making time to speak with me. So this is the first ever National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. What's on your mind with regard to this day and its intended purpose? Well, um, there's a number of things that are on my mind. You know, I've been doing some public speaking events and doing a lot of processing. And, you know, I I think it's fair to say that through the years, I've heard uh, a number of stories involving the Indian residential schools, uh, particularly in Shibanakadee. And, you know, you hear them so much over the years. And, you know, for me, you just sort of get a bit cold, uh, you know, to some of the history, uh, some of uh, what took place in those schools. And, you know, more recently, um, with uh, certainly the commission report, with certain things like Whitney Gould and her uh, print titled They Found Us and... um, you know, it has taken on a more meaning for me. And for me, it's an opportunity to undertake a journey towards a truth and reconciliation, a journey that involves a shared history of uh, a truth, uh, of the facts of what took place. There's an extensive uh, commission report, but also that opportunity to... Um, find a path towards reconciliation to allow individuals to figure out their own way to come to terms with truth and reconciliation and undertake that journey. And, you know, a national day for truth and reconciliation provides that opportunity. Um, I, I don't anticipate that many will come to a sudden realization Certainly, uh, there are 94 calls to action. And as then Commissioner Sinclair said, those that can should do what they need to do to allow uh, that process for reconciliation and truth to take place, not only within their respective areas, but also throughout Canada. So I'm sure there are mixed meanings when truth and reconciliation is mentioned. There are many truths that people have. There are many paths uh, towards reconciliation. I was speaking earlier today with roughly uh, about 
14,000 students online talking about Mi'kmaq spirituality, um, talking about our treaties of peace and friendship and linking that to truth and reconciliation. Truth has been framed by some as understanding the history of, of what took place and reconciliation being encompassed in part within the 94 calls to action, providing a framework for reconciliation. And, uh, you know, one path, one truth uh, towards reconciliation, I believe, is the truth contained within our treaties of peace and friendship that provide a basis for uh, two nations to come together and share in the wealth of our lands and resources based on mutual recognition and respect. So I, I think it's an individual journey. Mm -hmm. And I think you touched on it uh, a little bit, but speaking of, you know, an individual journey, what does it mean to you personally to see the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation recognized in your role as AFN Regional Chief, but also just as a member of the Mi'kmaq community? Hmm. Well, it's a statement, you know, uh, a number of provinces have adopted uh, this day uh, as a national and provincial holiday. For example, I'm phoning you from Deer Lake, Newfoundland. They proclaim this as, you know, a national holiday, um, uh, certainly within Nova Scotia and elsewhere. So it's a recognition, you know, with our... Uh, non-Indigenous neighbors that and, and government officials that now is the time for action. Now is the time for reflection, you know, and undertake that journey collectively. Within the context of our communities, I'm sure um, there's a bit of a mixture there. On the 30th, uh, a group of us gather at the site in Shibanaki of the former Indian Residential School, which will be uh, designated as a national historic site. So there will be mixed feelings there, I'm sure. I mean, with respect to that event, that designation, you know, so there's going to be a variety of feelings and perspectives uh, on that day and certainly leading up to it and afterwards. So, you know, everybody has their own way of dealing with the past and undertaking this journey towards healing, whether it's individual healing or healing within a particular family or community or collectively within the nation, you know, so it's creating that space of allowing all people to come to terms with truth and reconciliation and the legacy of the Indian residential school system. And it will take some time, I imagine, for that to happen. And I know you're currently in the process of talking with elders uh, and getting their perspectives on reconciliation. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? Well, um, you know, I, I've been thinking about truth and reconciliation for some time. And, you know, I, I, I travel, you know, in my previous role as chief, I to elders, uh, certainly, uh, you know, within the community and within my travels. And it's something I have thought about through this course of my journeys. And, you know, when you seek advice and counsel from elders, you know, when they share what they know, it often takes place in a very 
you know, a specific way. There's a bit of difference between how each elder does that. But generally, you know, um, when you visit them and you engage in the dialogue, they have a way of conveying information to you that initially you might think, well, my specific question wasn't answered, <laughs> you know. Um, yes. But when you later reflect on that discussion, you start to think about what they said and why they said that. And, you know, when they share their stories and experiences and and then all of a sudden through that process of recollection, you're basically led to find your own way, your own answer. And what they instill within you is that guidance. It could be those things that you just might have overlooked, you know, or things that sort of strike you in a different way. And through that process of dialogue and engagement, it sort of helps you to come to terms with the issue you wanted to address initially, whether it's a decision or a direction for a specific path, a challenge or a struggle. It's much more um, effective, I believe, to, you know, to find your own answer. And um, throughout history and certainly today, our, our elders have a way of helping us find our way in many incredible ways. So true. And I know that when I've gone to elders in the past for advice, they'll give me their perspective or their take, and I'll think, what does this mean? And like you said, it, it maybe doesn't really make sense right at that particular time, but after reflecting on it, you can find your own meaning in it. And I think that's really what people need to do. You have to come to terms with it on your own terms with yourself and, and what that means to you. So that resonates with me, uh, what you just said. With the elders that you've spoken with so far, have they given you their perspectives on reconciliation? what maybe they think it means. I know it's, as we mentioned, individual, but the elders that you've spoken with, is there anything that you're hearing from a number of elders that relates to reconciliation and what they would like to see? Sure. I I guess I'll start by saying um, there wasn't one uniform general answer. You know, each um, have their way of putting their truths uh, forward, you know, and so what I'll convey is just a recollection of some of those discussions. But one is uh, that reconciliation is not about people feeling guilty or bad, you know, about maybe what their ancestors have done, you know, for them to feel sort of guilty about where they come from or who they are. Some have said that's not of an appropriate basis for reconciliation, uh, but rather taking the time to come, you know, through your own path in your own way to uncovering the truths of uh, what had taken place through the Indian residential school system. And not just that, but generally our shared history. I mean, it is and has been quite a history that uh, many Aboriginal people across this country have endured, the residential school system just being uh, one of them. You know, uh, certain things like the 60 scoop or centralization or the way treaties have been denied and, you know, not honored and respected by government. 
So there's a need to really view truth and reconciliation and, you know, to place it within a specific context that makes sense for you. And to just, you know, sit with that, but hopefully, you know, in time to do something about it in your own way. Um, Obviously, there's 94 uh, calls to action certain uh, obligations uh, being placed on whether it's government or public institutions. But in light of this personal journey, everybody can play a role in allowing reconciliation to take place. And that's some of the stuff that I've heard from elders. You know, some involve the process of how you can come to terms, some guidance, you know, when you think of struggle, you know, if we were to picture something uh, between you and me, you know, and so we're looking at it, you're looking at it from one side, I'm looking at it from the other side, and it's the same thing, but we're looking at it from two different perspectives, right? And we might not agree on what that is. And one of the things that uh, one of the elders mentioned is um, like in Gluskap, you know, in the creation story, um, Gipu, our eagle brother or sister, you know, is the messenger for Gisulk, you know, the great spirit. And one of them said, think about Gipu, you know, and think about that journey of how Gipu travels high, you know, uh, close the messenger with Gisul to create spirit and how from that higher perspective you can you can look at things and see how things interconnect you can see things in a more um, comprehensive perspective and with that certain things will come to you on how to approach things or deal with specific struggles that, uh, and we all struggle, you know, we all struggle with specific challenges. And, you know, certainly in light of the pandemic and in light of, you know, the recent discovery of unmarked graves in Canloops and other areas across this country, these are tough times, not only for, you know, the non-Indigenous public, but for our people within our communities. And, you know, we're not able to practice our ways in light of COVID and this pandemic, you know, so um, there's a need for self-care and to rely upon those values and traditions that we've used since the beginning of time to really help provide us with uh, much needed guidance and support. And speaking of guidance and support, what are some ways people can support and learn from Indigenous communities? Maybe people who are who are just learning about these very dark parts in Canada's history. How can they support and learn from Indigenous communities? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, there's a number of ways. You know, there, there's some extensive reports that have been published. You want something more local, you know, back in the 80s, uh, you know, uh, the Donald Marshall Jr. Uh, 
royal commission, the inquiry that took place in his wrongful conviction where he was um, denied justice uh, throughout just about every turn within the criminal justice system, which found that uh, systemic discrimination existed within the criminal justice system. You can look to the activities uh, that have taken place uh, regarding Mi'kmaq fishing um, and the practice of Mi'kmaq fishing rights, whether they be in Sonyaville or Bodledek or Picto Landing or elsewhere, you know, where people are being arrested, traps being seized. You know, you can, you can look to find out what, what these treaties are all about. You know, there's uh, public reports like the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, which is quite extensive, detailing the struggles and the paths that have been um, outlined for uh, a process for uh, a better uh, Canada involving uh, Indigenous people. You can look at the, you know, the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission report uh, that is quite extensive. You can look at the calls to uh, justice on uh, the Muslim murdered Indigenous women and girls. You know, uh, you know, there's a lot of information available. Um, you know, uh, short of that, you know, you can talk to Indigenous people who, you know, uh, they could be, you know, in your uh, workplace environment. They could be um, at various public institutions. There's numerous resources that are out there that, you know, um, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous resources that provide, uh, you know, excellent highlighting, you know, the you know, these issues and relationships, um, there's lots. I mean, you can YouTube it, you know. Um, in this digital age, there's significant resources, uh, but there's always, you know, th that opportunity to speak to somebody. And if you approach them with a genuine heart, right, of um, wanting to truly know and understand, uh, you know, most of them will share you know, with you, uh, if it's genuine and sincere. Um, uh, granted, some are just tired of trying to uh, educate, you know, the uh, a non-Indigenous public. And that's fine, too, you know, because people should avail themselves of these resources or, you know, things of that nature as well. I really like that last point you made there, uh, Regional Chief. I, I think it's the onus can't always be on Indigenous peoples, on us to explain our history, explain the the traumas and, and the hardships. Um, it becomes incumbent on on people themselves to, to take it upon themselves and take that initiative um, to learn. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, there has to be a genuine uh, desire to do so. I'd like to get your perspective on this next question. Um, is it time for the history of residential schools to be included in school curriculums? What do you, what do you think about that? Well, as long as history is a core course, <laughs> you know, within the school <laughs> systems, I mean, yes, it's time, you know, um, I, I grew up quite a while ago. I'm not going to say, you know, um, <laughs> but you know, I'm, getting long in the tooth here. Um, 
But I remember a time when, when I was in uh, class, I think it was grade seven, and um, there was this book. It was called Bold Vengers. And, uh, you know, it was a history book. And um, obviously nothing about my history. But I, I remember this one time, um, there was a section on uh, at least some Aboriginal group. I think it was the Iroquois. And um, I wasn't a keener, so I didn't really, you know, uh, read it in advance. But I remember waiting for that moment in class to uh, go through that. And when we got to that particular section, you know, there was this depiction and, you know, a picture and um, some caption below saying, and something to the effect of, and when they used to get drunk around a fire, they would hurl their kids into the fire. I mean, uh, something to that effect. Um, and, uh, you know, I was shocked. I, you know, more or less embarrassed, I guess, you know, because um, growing up on a reserve, you know, uh, it triggered certain things in my upbringing um self-esteem is probably one of the most invaluable things for our youth i think everything flows with pride and self-esteem and um and it, it's a shame but i never really got to learn about my history until university thanks to certain people like sister dorothy moore and Sawgage Henderson and Joby Marshall and Eleanor Johnson and the list goes on. So thank God I had that opportunity and I was in an institution that sort of um, accommodated that, you know, because uh, without that, you know, I, I remember this one time I, I, I was, uh, you know, uh, I was at a mall. It was called the Met in the Mall in Antigonish. And uh, I, I didn't have money, but I used to like roaming around looking at things when my mother would go in. Uh, and I, I remember looking at these big mirrors and <laughs> there was this mirror. I was looking at myself in this big mirror, mm -hmm. looking at my Frenchy clothes and everything like that. And thinking to myself, you're nothing but a dirty Indian. I never forgot that. Mm. And, you know, that's just part. That's only one drop in the bucket of what we endure as Mi'kmaq and indigenous people across this country and as difficult as that story is i wanted to share that with you mm. and thank you very much for sharing that with me i know um it's never easy to share a piece of yourself especially one that is so raw and emotional and you spoke to me in that moment you know much of that resonated with me i grew up wearing clothes from Frenchies and, and even, you know, um, being, feeling even more displaced because I was supposed to be in an indigenous community and part of that community, but I didn't look like I was part of it. And so I didn't feel like I felt 
like I fit it in inside the community or outside the community, mm. um, which is really tough too. So that, thank you very much for, for sharing that, uh, that experience, that moment uh, with me, regional chief. And if I could add, I, I, I certainly um, have the same skin color as you, Sean, you know, and, you know, and, you know, born and raised in a Mi'kmaq community, you tend to get it both ways. And it's sort of like, you wonder where you fit, you know, like, because you look different, your, your skin is different. And, you know, um, and, you know, like my mother, uh, my, obviously my parents were both fluent in Mi'kmaq, but, um, there was 14 of us in our family and at us, I'm the second youngest, but there was a certain time, you know, uh, within the strata of my family that my mother decided to switch from Mi'kmaq to English. And, um, and obviously she did that to, um, you know, uh, she done, she done that because she thought that was best for us. And uh, I, I certainly don't blame her for that. And I, I do think it certainly helped me. And I, you know, I remember times, you know, uh, when my grandmother who lived next door would come across and need something and she would speak to me in Mi'kmaq because her limit, uh, English was very limited and I couldn't communicate with her. Mm. And, you know, I just felt so ashamed, you know, of, um, of, that incompetence, you know. Um, so, you know, like these are part of our struggles uh, that we face within our own communities. And, you know, we, we all struggle. I mean, it, but it's the ways upon which we get through that. It could be people, it could be teachings, it could be this discussion. Right. You know, there, there, there's always ways for us to, you know, feel better about who we are and you know to really take pride in who we are as Mi'kmaq people hmm. certainly something I've been working on in the past few years myself hmm. in your role as a and I guess we're, we're going to switch gears um, a little bit here from uh, the more personal um, kind of topics in your role as AFN regional chief, what are some bigger issues you see um, moving forward in maybe in general or maybe related specifically to reconciliation? Well, uh, one thing I think about is because one of the things I've, I've been preoccupied with is um, trying to seek out a definition for reconciliation or some framework and you know, reading the 94 calls to action. Uh, uh, and one of the, the things that is referenced as a potential framework for reconciliation is the United Nations Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, you know, which um, goes to the very core of who we are as Indigenous people. It speaks to such things as, you know, self-determination, uh, the recognition of 
not only legal, basic legal rights, but basic human rights that, that we have as Mi'kmaq people, the recognition uh, that, you know, uh, we are self-governing, that certainly before the arrival of Europeans, that we were governed by our own customs, values, and traditions, and we were bestowed, you know, uh, those original instructions uh, to us from Gisul, the creator, and, uh, you know, this tremendous need for us to revitalize that and, and to incorporate it within every institution within our society, both within our communities and outside of our communities. You know, that need for uh, recognition and respect of our treaty relationship, you know, it's just not a words on a document. You know, there's a spirit and intent contained within that relationship that treaty relationship and, you know, that recognition that, you know, there were two people, two nations that signed on to that document. So we all have treaty rights. You know, we all have a treaty obligation. We are all treaty people. We are all a treaty people. Um, You know, so I think about that declaration, you know, and, you know, yes, the federal government has passed a federal legislation, but, what about uh, the, the provincial uh, governments as well? Um, there, there's a need, I believe, uh, for us to come together as communities as well. At times, you know, um, we are in the mode of reacting, you know, to government. You know, we just had a federal election. Uh, We just had a provincial election within Nova Scotia. And, you know, mandate shift, policies shift, um, you know, and we're continuously in that uh, need to uh, just provide something more for communities. And, um, you know, and in order to be effective, you know, at times we, we have to be united in, in what we want. And um, sometimes it, it's difficult to achieve that. You know, so uh, there, there's a number of issues we need to, you know, um, and we're starting to do that within the context of our uh, chiefs meetings is, is we, we need to incorporate ceremony more uh, within our decision making. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's somebody by the name of uh, Mindy Denny who shared a vision with me that she received uh, about this need to incorporate ceremony within our decision making to remind us of who we are as Mi'kmaq people and to remind us that you know we're we're not alone. You know that. There are many ways we can seek out help, you know, and guidance and support. And, you know, uh, from our elders, from our medicine men and medicine women, from our youth, some of our greatest leaders are, you know, individuals that are no more than five feet or, you know, three feet, you know. I mean, you know, leadership is something that happens when people step forward. And you can be of any age. I see it happen on many occasions. 
You don't have to be a chief or a council member to be a leader. You know, you know, there are so many incredible people that offer support on a day-to-day -day basis. And um, that element of pride and um, of being proud of who we are as Mi'kmaq people and to trust, you know, that it's going to work out. We're, you know, we're, we're going to get to where we need to go. I mean, yes, at times it requires patience but it also re requires persistence, you know, and um, resiliency. You know, we're one of the most resilient people around that I know of, right? So um, those are some of the things I think about. I can't agree more. And I, I love how eloquently you put it. I think um, you hit the nail right on the head. It will take many years to repair damaged trust and relations between indigenous and non-indigenous peoples and i think you maybe touched on it but how can we start to do this repairing relationships between indigenous and non-indigenous people and how how we can do that um wow uh, um I, I think it begins with an open heart, you know, um, I, uh, both ways. Mm. You know, um, it's hard to trust somebody that has abused you and uh, denied you uh, basic human legal rights for quite some time. You know, the litany of broken promises, um, the policies that um you know of government which you know a product of the federal government's failed good intentions maybe they, there was a good intention there but it didn't work so uh, there's a need to recognize that there is a better way of dealing with things that the old ways don't work just look at the track record mm. you know and so there's a need to meaningfully engage indigenous people at all levels within our society to truly um, seek to know and to understand who we are, you know, as a people, as communities and as a nation, you know, and so, with trust and with sharing comes a basis for a relationship. And the Mi'kmaq are all about relationships. Look at our ceremonies and prayers. We say, umsid nogama, all my relations. You know, like the, the winged ones, the four-legged, the ones that crawl, the ones that swim, all of creations. We enter into treaties, you know. Mm -hmm. What treaties of peace and friendship, what better framework is there than peace and friendship? Look at our creation story, uh, you know, and the relationships that Gluskep had with, you know, his grandmother, his mother, his nephew, with Gipu, you know, um, you know, with Gisult, you know, the, uh, the great spirit or Sitkamu, our earth mother. I, I think there's a lot that can be learned, you know, from who we are as Mi'kmaq people. And one thing I think about, and I've been thinking about often 
lately is our place. How you see yourself in the world will largely determine what you will do in life and how you will live. You know, um, how you see your place, you know, uh, your roles and responsibility within your family, uh, within your community, you know, um, how you see your, your place within uh, our nation, you know, how you see your place uh, with Gisul, you know, um, how you see your place with Sitkamu, our Earth Mother. And, you know, as Mi'kmaq, we're always preoccupied, I believe, uh, with this idea of balance. You know, finding and maintaining a balance because we all struggle. It's inevitable. If you're human, you're going to have times of struggle, you know. And there's a need, you know, to... Uh, have a place where you can come to that recognition of finding a balance. It could be a balance between, you know, the world of uh, the, uh, the visible, the seen, you know, the external world, and uh, the world of the invisible or unseen or internal world, you know, this balance takes many forms and you can see it in so many ways. You know, you can see it in our petroglyphs. You can see, you can see it in our uh, creation story. You can hear about it in our honor song. You know, and there, there's so many areas where um, we can develop and maintain that balance. And I, I, and I think that is a lesson that we can all learn and benefit from, whether you're Mi'kmaq or non-Mi'kmaq, it doesn't matter. I agree very much. What do you hope to see for, firstly, I guess, um, what do you hope people will take away from this conversation? Maybe I'll ask you that question first. Wow, that's a pretty good question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what I hope, I mean, it's up to them what they take away. I mean, like, I don't want to um, predict what resonates with people, but um, but one thing I hope they, they take from this, that this is a genuine discussion, you know, uh, between two Mi'kmaq people that share, you know, just through this discussion, we share many things. You know, um, I had the pleasure to work for your community. And, um, you know, many of us are preoccupied with the idea of trying to make our communities a better place to live in. You know, and we have this, these dreams, you know, this vision of, of a better place, of a better time you know, of a better tomorrow. And it's a strong vision, you know, uh, it's a powerful vision. And in a way, we all have that vision, you know, and, you know, and we can realize that vision in so many different ways, you know. Um, you know, it doesn't mean we all have to agree, you know, 
I mean, you know, it, it does it, but, you know, I think one of the things that makes us uh, rich in terms of um, whether it's this country or, you know, our nations is the diversity that exists there and the differences. And that's really rich, you know, it, it, it can really um, provide a basis of understanding and knowing and recognition that maybe we don't have it all figured out, you know, maybe there is additional room for us to grow and expand and learn, you know. Um, yeah, so that's something, you know, I think about. I love this conversation because every time I think about where you're going with an answer, and what you might say, you actually say the words that I'm thinking in my head, <laughs> which I cannot believe. <laughs> um, and I'll just maybe one more question um, to wrap it up, uh, Regional Chief. And I think this kind of touches on your last point. But what do you hope to see for reconciliation in the years to come? Wow. Um... I wish I could show you my headdress, but one of the medallions on my headdress on the left side, in the middle, I have a bumblebee, you know, because an affinity to bees and what they do for us as humans. I have a star on uh, the right side, but on the left side, I have a medallion of a tree with deep roots. Mm -hmm. And it's this recognition that uh, we're continuously in the process of growth. We're continuously evolving. The only certainty we have in life is change, you know? And so we're always continuously changing and growing and evolving, which is a great thing. Nobody wants to be stagnant, right? And nobody wants to be stale, you know? And you know, our youth are embracing that. Our youth are more connected than they were ever before. So it's really quite exciting to see this change emerge and evolve and just really looking forward to being a part of that change. And I look forward to, um, to seeing it and, and hopefully being a part of it uh, myself as well. I just want to thank you, Regional Chief Prosper Walalin. Uh, once again, I, I really appreciate um, you taking the time today to speak with me. And uh, it, it's just been fantastic. And, and I really hope that we can speak again in the future. With all and Sean, and I'm really looking forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much. And Willaliok to all those listening. Stay tuned for our next monthly episode. Msit Nogama. Msit Nogama. To find out more about Ulnui and the Megamot Rights Reconciliation Process, visit ulnui.ca.